But the Bible says there's a bigger story going on, a tale of two cities, and it's the city of God and it's the city of man, and it actually affects everybody's lives, that all of humanity is affected by these two cities. And today we're going to be looking at how uh, this tale of two cities applies to us, and we're going to look at Revelation. Now, Revelation is uh, very difficult to understand, and I remember... Uh, this is a long time ago. In fact, Andy Foster, who we know is not here, uh, so that's fine. Andy Foster, this is before he was a Christian. Um, I'm sure he won't mind me telling you. So we're at Stamp, the old Stanmore Lane building, and uh, we're upstairs in the, having tea and coffee or whatever. And he came up to me and he said something like, Rob, he knew my name. He said, Rob, you seem like a normal person, which <laughs> by definition implied that he didn't think there were many normal people in the church, but yeah, anyway, he said, Rob, you look, when it says feet like burnished bronze, what is that all about? And uh, we laughed, um, and that's all we did, really, we just laughed. Uh, I didn't really, I couldn't really answer, it was all a bit awkward and embarrassing. Um, no, it wasn't, it was just fun, and actually, he became a Christian anyway, a few months later, which was great, but he was kind of, obviously for him, as a, not a, an unbeliever at that point, was reading it saying, what on earth is this about? And I think that can be uh, the normal reaction because actually we don't easily understand the symbolic uh, nature of the Bible and particularly of Revelation. Um, however, a few years later, I was privileged to have the opportunity to hear a guy called John Hosier uh, speak and do actually four days of lectures teaching on Revelation and actually helped me a lot to understand what was going on in this book. Um, and actually, he is with us in a few weeks' time, at the end of November, 22nd, is it? 22nd November. He's coming here. He's written books, a book on Revelation. He really gets it. So if it doesn't make sense today, come back then. <laughs> but hopefully uh, today you'll get something of what I, what I picked up. And one of the things that I picked up was this idea that um, we need to understand the type of literature that this revelation is. It's apocalyptic, but it's a mixture of apocalyptic, letter, and prophetic. And it's highly symbolic language, um, figurative. So what matters is not the symbols, but the meaning. Does that make sense? We can get a bit distracted by the symbols because we're like, what is that? But actually, what does it mean? That's the point. What is this saying to us today? What is the meaning of the symbols? And it's a bit like, and this is what I found really helpful, it's a bit like an Impressionist painting. You know the Impressionists, like, well, Jim will know the Impressionists, of course, with his vast artistic knowledge, like Claude Monet, very good, uh, with his um, water lilies and that kind of thing. The imp- Sorry, I'm getting distracted. The Impressionist thing about Impressionism is it, it doesn't matter about the, the detail. It's the overall picture that you're looking at. Does that make sense? It's the impression you get as you see the whole thing. And that is really the, the heart of these revelations. It's you step back and you say, you don't get too concerned about every little detail, but you see the whole thing. You say, oh, wow, that's what it's about. And that is uh, very helpful for me. That's how you take these symbolic pictures. Um, and the other thing that stuck out on those four days was when we came to this idea of the city of God and the city of man, these two uh, symbols that there are in the uh, Revelation. And I remember thinking to myself, a tale of two cities, that would make a good title for a talk. And so here we are, about 
12 years later. So, <laughs> um, so let's read Revelation 11. And this is just going to illustrate uh, the point, I think. Revelation chapter 11. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, I've, uh, it's not on the PowerPoint because I just thought in the early church, they just heard this. They heard it in those seven churches just as it came. So if you've not got a Bible, that's fine. Just listen to this. So say, this is Revelation chapter 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshippers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they'd finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And their survivors were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe passed and the third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, for the destroying of those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple there was an ark of his covenant, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, pearls of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Wow. Anybody want to fancy explaining that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will do that. It's fine. Right. Um, but I think it would be good to pray and just ask God's help by his Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray that you would come and you would reveal your truth to us. I pray, help us to understand the meaning of these symbols.
today. And I pray that you would uh, speak to each heart here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, if you have the PowerPoint up, uh, we're going to look then at three things uh, that I feel uh, kind of are the big meanings of this chapter, and in fact, the whole of Revelation. So it's the, the city of man, the city of God, and the choice of city. And you see, I've got my Charles Dickens there, and this guy's in prison. Um, it's actually a story. Originally, they were going to call it Record to Life. He wanted to call it Record to Life because it's about this guy who's in darkness and comes out of darkness into light. So there's all kinds of interesting things about that. But let's move on. Um, so the city of man, what is it that we're looking at? Well, first of all, those who were listening to that chapter thinking, well, it sounds like it's more about a story of two witnesses, not necessarily two cities. And you would be right if that's what your initial reaction was but you notice in verse 8 it has the phrase their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt where also the Lord was crucified so it introduces this concept of the great city and actually it's a, a, a concept that's picked up all through Revelation it talks about this great city this great city Babylon is the most common reference that you get and how that uh, there is this great city which is against the people of God. But just to give a quick overview of the story of the witnesses that we've read and try and pick out some key things here. You see, the, uh, the two witnesses, it's really what it's describing is the effectiveness of the church in communicating the message of Jesus. Now, you may not have picked that up uh, straight away from the reading, but that's what it's all about. It talks about these two witnesses going out with great power. And it talks about the two witnesses, if you notice in verse 4, the two witnesses are also two lampstands and two olive trees. Okay, These are symbols. So the lampstands and olive trees speak about fruitfulness and light. This communication that's coming through the message of the church. And you remember when Jim's talking on uh, the earlier chapters that the lampstands are the churches. So Jesus is walking amongst the churches. When he's walking amongst the lampstands, it's symbolic of the church, of the people of God communicating the message of the gospel in this world. And yet, uh, and there's power there, okay? So it's not just... um, uh, a, a simple communication. There's a power of God when the gospel, when the message of Christ is explained. The power comes from God to enforce it. So it hints at both the ministry of Moses and Elijah. talks about how the miracles that they saw happen will happen. God backs them up. So what is the message of Moses? The message of Moses is deliverance from bondage and slavery. People get caught in Egypt, figuratively speaking. The message of Elijah was a call to follow God. Decide for yourself this day which you're going to follow. So there's a a powerfulness to the gospel. So basically implying that, and this is what happened in the New Testament, that when the gospel was preached, also miracles happened. People's lives were changed. Healings happened. There was a power at work in the communication of the gospel. But... In the story, it doesn't all go the church's way. There's opposition. There's a trampling of the things of God. There's a a mocking 
You saw that. That's kind of a disdain. A dis, uh, and actually what you notice, okay, the, so the beast comes up and kills the two witnesses. And it's a... Uh, so what does this symbolize? I'm going to get on to that in a minute. The other thing I want to say about this is that John was a witness. Okay, so John who's writing this himself was a witness. So you notice in his letter he says, that which we saw, that we, we touched with our hands, this is what we proclaim to you. That was his witness. And he says things like, he talks about that Jesus is the light of the world, that you know, whoever believes in God will be saved, that by believing in Jesus you might have life in his name. This is what we proclaim to you. So this, John was a witness. Okay. And, but this, the witnesses are killed. This is the, this is, I'll, get, I'll explain how this all fits in with the context in a minute. But the witnesses are killed, and there's this mocking and jeering, and, and uh, they're celebrating over the death. And then there's this shock as they are, the Spirit of God enters them, and the, the witnesses come back to life. And this is the story of history that the church, when it looks like it's defeated, comes alive again. You can't destroy the church because God is behind it and he breathes life into it and it comes alive again. And uh, ultimately, it's, a, it's places with God. But yeah, the first, I want to get the, the key thing I wanted to pick up on here is this city of man, okay? The city, what is that all about? Which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. What's it all about? This revelation, well... The great city is also referred on later in chapter 17. And it talks about this, it has this image, this vision of a woman, an attractive woman who has seduced the peoples of the world. And she's dressed wearing purple and scarlet, uh, covered in glittering gold and jewelry, and on her headband is written a mystery. It says, Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes, and abominations of the earth. She is drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And she's involved in this war against the Lamb. Can okay, you think, what on earth is going on? What is this all about? This woman who's... And then it says at the end of chapter 17, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So what was the great city of the New Testament that was ruling over, there you go, verse 17, verse 18, that rules over, it was Rome. At the time of the New Testament, it was Rome. Rome was Babylon, the great city. When John was writing, he was writing to these seven churches, and they were all, all the people were living in cities, but there was one city that was influencing all of them, had control over all of them. It was Rome. Rome was the great city. And... In chapter 18, this great city falls, and there is a, uh, it, basically what looks like is impossible in human terms, this great city of Rome, it falls. And this is what it prophesies, that there will be great cities like that, great empires like Babylon. They will come and go, and, but they will ultimately fall. Rome actually proclaimed itself as the eternal city, that it would go on forever. You remember Hitler talked about the Third Reich being a, 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 a go on forever. No, no. 
These are just human things. They're temporary. They fall. And this is what we're looking at, is that this great city falls. And actually, what's, it's, all about, it's all about money. That's the sad thing. It's all about wealth and prosperity, and it's, it's just looking to the great city to provide everything that we need. But then it comes and it corrupts us. So, if you understand the context of what was going on, it helps you understand the concept of what, what John is trying to explain to us. See, Rome was just like Babylon. That's what he's trying to say. Now, what was Babylon? Well, Babylon uh, is an Old Testament uh, city that was also an empire. And it came against God's people. So, actually, it's originally started on the... Uh, as the Tower of Babel. I'd only learnt this as I was studying. The Tower of Babel was built, Babylon rather, was built on the site of the Tower of Babel. So the Tower of Babel was this uh, attempt to build a huge tower to, the, to show that man is great. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that that still carries on today. That people try and build huge towers to show that man is great. I don't know if you want to flick uh, to the slides at the end. I just think it might be useful to, um, at this point, just make sure you're listening. But there's there huge towers, okay? Now, uh, these are a few cities, okay? And cities, they don't all have huge towers, but one of them there has a huge city. Now, a quick quiz, okay? What are the cities? Let's go top left. Anybody? Dubai. Dubai, okay. So that currently has the, hu- the tallest tower, the Burj Khalif. Okay, the one on the right? Paris, good. London, yeah. One of- Venice, good. Anybody? No? No? Tokyo. It is Tokyo. I didn't know that one. Uh, I put it on because I thought, I don't know, I'm sure. And this one is fairly obvious. Rio. Can you flick on to the, the next slide? So these are just, obviously we've got, we're having our attempt at the glory of man here in London with the Shard. It's pretty small though, isn't it? It's a little bit disappointing when you compare it to the 828 metre Burj Khalifa. And, and then the final slide here, if you... Okay, that is a view from somebody window cleaning on the Burj Khalif. That's tall, isn't it? Now what... Okay, go off of there, that's enough. But there is something in us that wants to be great. And actually, whilst they were doing that, they were also saying, God, I don't need you. That's what was happening in Babel. It was actually a rebellion against God. It was, God, we can be great without you. We don't need you. It was a re- rebellion and a rejection of God. And that was what Babylon was like. So Babylon became a great city, a great empire. And it took over the people of God. It captured Jerusalem, which was in the Old Testament was the city of God. It was where God dwelt. And Babylon came and tried to destroy some of the things you read, it's just horrific what the Babylonians did. And this is what happened. They came and they destroyed. 
And then, interestingly, the Old Testament prophets said that Babylon will fall, that there will be a, that this great empire of Babylon will fall. And people said, that can't happen. That's not possible. Its walls were huge. Apparently, you could drive chariots around the, the walls. And it was impregnable. And yet, and even the guy from the, uh, the army thought, oh, how do we get in? And what they did, they blocked off. It was on the Euphrates River. They blocked off the Euphrates River. And it dammed it up so that they could then get in at the city. And what seemed like it was impossible, and the Assyrian Empire came in, destroyed the Babylonians. So it's interesting that was prophesied in the Bible and then happened. And now we're looking at a prophecy of the end of the age. And you have to say, it's very similar what was being described, that God will come and destroy cities that have opposed him. So, what is going on here? Um, well, I think the, the thing that I found really interesting to understand is Rome is just like Babylon. Rome was a huge city empire. It wasn't just a city, it was an empire. It controlled things. But, and, and actually, everybody thought it was pretty good initially. And it, there are lots of good things that Rome did, you know, underfloor heating. I love underfloor heating. You know, that was the Romans were doing that, and something we forgot about that. And roads, and, they, and actually they had a peace. There was a, a Pax Romana that happened just before uh, Jesus came. So actually, the timing of Jesus' arrival was key, because it meant that the world, it was just the world was ripe. It was the right time when Jesus came. So there were all these kind of there were good things about Rome, but the problem with Rome was it had. Uh, it had emperors that were human beings, but they became very corrupted. And probably the worst one was Nero, or at least one of the worst ones. And uh, again, you, I probably can't explain all the stuff that he did. But initially, the church grew very successfully. And under this Pax Romana, it was a, a, an allowed religion, so it was seen as part of Judaism. And Judaism was actually spread all across the uh, Roman Empire in various cities there were Jews and that's where the church started and saw lots of people becoming Christians but then in AD 64 there was a fire in Rome and you remember the, you might remember the famous thing about Nero fiddled while Rome burned well that is all about the fact that people blamed Nero they thought he, this fire that happened in Rome was Nero's fault and uh, what he did was he then he looked for a scapegoat so he picked on Christians. And he started a huge persecution against Christians, killing Christians. And, and actually, this thing what we're reading about, the mocking and the jeering and the scorn for Christians, that happened in the, the, the gladiatorial games. They were, it wasn't just that they were killed, but they were mocked and scorned. Uh, I remember reading about the fact that uh, Nero actually had Christians burned as candles in his garden. So he put them up, covered them in oil, and burned them as entertainment to show light to the world. What is ironic about that is that is now where the Vatican is. So the place where Christians were burned is now the Vatican. What is, what's shocking about all of this is that God sees it. God sees it, and yet in the Revelation, well, where's and these to the 
early Christians, this was their leaders. This was the people, you know. So it's quite likely that Peter and Paul were killed by Nero in the Roman persecutions. And at the time that John's writing here, Domitian is in charge. And Domitian was pretty similar to Nero, some of the writers say. And he started a persecution on Christians. So John is writing this from an island on Patmos because he's been exiled there because he's one of the leaders. And this persecution is coming against Christians. So this is the context of Revelation. And you've got to understand, once you understand it, you think, ah, I see. So all this talk about martyrs and, and being killed, that is what was literally going on. There were people, so remember in chapter 2, it talks about Antipas was put to death in your city. So, and it seems that it came in waves. It wasn't like it was constant persecution, but there were waves of persecution against the Christians. So, uh, and there was, so what was wrong with Rome? Rome, the, the problem was that it was Nero wasn't just, he wanted worship. You know that Nero created a statue that was a, a 30 meters tall in the center of Rome of himself. I mean, that's just classic human pride, isn't it, and ego. Look, a statue of me. And he wanted the worship. So that was why Christians were persecuted, because they wouldn't worship the emperors. They wouldn't go along with the system. They wouldn't just go along and say, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with this. Because they wanted to worship God and God alone. So what is the message? Well, I think the message is both an encouragement and a warning. And whilst there aren't many of us who suffer severe persecution, there are some who will be uh, mocked and jeered and scorned for being a Christian. And God sees that. He sees that. But what is the, the encouragement? Well, the encouragement is that when things in this world, evil forces, beastly leaders and emperors, seem to be getting their way, and they lash out against innocent people and kill believers which does happen all around the world. There are martyrs every year, people dying for their faith because they, won't, uh, uh, because they acknowledge Jesus as Lord. When these happen, it's important to realize these are temporary, not eternal. But these, this, just this life, that there is a greater life to come. And that all Babylons, all Neros, all despotic leaders will die. There is a finality, and there is a final judgment. That God sees it all, but he allows this period because he wants as many people in his kingdom as possible. That the, the message, the witness message of the church will go out. That people will come followers of Jesus. So this is the encouragement that if, you know, John says stuff like, in this world you will have trouble. So the Christian life is not a life, sadly, of uh, uninterrupted bliss on this earth there is trouble there is difficulty there is opposition there is battle it's not unusual to have trouble in this life Jesus said it will be like that but there is a greater life to come and that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world that there is an overcoming just as we are reading in Revelation there is God is with us we are more than conquerors because God is with us and suffering love, when people do suffer, it, there's a power in that. There's a power when people suffer for their faith, and yet the, the kingdom of God expands nonetheless. So that's the encouragement. The warning is don't get duped by Rome. 
don't get sucked in to worldly thinking and the way the world will try and control you. So cities can be very exciting, can't they? You can visit London or New York and you think, wow, what a buzz, what excitement. And it can attract your attention. In Rome, entertainment was a big thing. They had their plays, they had the the gladiatorial games, they had um, the races, they used to race chariots and bet on them, gamble on them. And the the first, you know, you think football players get paid a lot, the chariot guys used to get paid a lot as well, apparently. So entertainment, and and what it does, they used to actually spend hundreds of days a year just giving themselves to entertainment. Just, you know, we think we don't get enough holiday, well... Those guys are spending half their year just watching games, entertainment. So what am I saying here? I'm saying Rome and the world can kind of catch you up in its system. And you have to discern, well, what is this? Do I, am I, is this something that's affecting me? Because it's a corrupting influence. That's the point. But if you look back, if you look on to the next slide. Next slide. Anytime now. Oh, 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 you were there. I was looking at me. Go back. Back. Sorry. I just... Can we go back? There we go. So, these are just simple bullet points, but on the effect of this city. So, Babylon was hostile and took people into captivity. Sodom, we heard about in that verse, was a place of sin and depravity. And when people say, oh, let's just, you know, just go for it, throw all the moral rules out. You see with Sodom what really happens, kind of just the corruption and the violence and the abuse that occurs. Egypt speaks of oppression. People went to Egypt originally because they thought it would be a good place for them. Thought, oh, this would be a good place for me, a place of safety and security. And yet it became a place of oppression and slavery and exploitation. There's lots of this in Rome, all of the above was happening in Rome. There was massive slavery in Rome. So Rome was enslaving. It was, there was idolatrous worship. You're worshipping the emperor, giving yourselves to that. There was, so we t- what I'm saying is here, don't get sucked into the world and worldliness. That's what Rome is a symbol of, world and worldliness. And obviously, you, we are all living in cities and or places where we're influenced by what's going on in our culture but just be careful not to get too sucked in that's what was happening in the early church so in those letters you see that early on some of the churches are compromising they're getting sucked into some of the teachings as oh don't don't worry about that just go with it go with it just soften the message don't make it sound so serious it's sort of an undercurrent of of just um, corrupt, corrupting and uh, don't compromising, that's the word I'm looking for, a compromised church. And so this can affect us even today. So this is the city of God. Uh, this is a city of man, rather. And that's the first point. All right, good. Second point, <laughs> city of God. This is much better news. The, this is amazing because this is the greatest city of all. Um, you notice in the destruction of Babylon, it says, was there ever a city like this city? And people think the cities of this world are great. Well, the, the city of God is the greatest city of all. So if we go on to the next slide, this is just the opening verses of 
Revelation 21. It says this, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out from heaven, prepares the bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice, a loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. It's important we get a vision of the city of God. It's an amazing city. In uh, Zechariah, it has a similar vision. It talks about that it'll be a city without walls. So you get this idea that there's a huge number of people come into this city of God. It's similar to the bit that John was reading about, about a tribe from all nations, more than I can count, a great vast number in the city of God. And this is not a new, this was not a new vision. Abraham himself, the father of our faith, was called out of Ur of the Chaldees because he was looking for a city. That's what Hebrew says. It says this, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. So, as uh, in the prophecy earlier, it talked about, um, you know, it's all about, it's often Christians think about heaven being sort of in the clouds and all that kind of thing. Actually, the picture is the city comes to earth. It's a new heavens and a new earth. And what John sees, he's told to measure, or rather the angel measures this city. And it is 1,500 miles by 1,000, it's the same width, depth, it's a cube, massive cube, okay? And you think, again, it's symbol, okay? And it's symbolic of the vastness of uh, the eternal city. But it's also symbolic of God's presence being with us. See, the Holy of Holies in the temple was also a cube. It was, a, it had, it was the same width, height, depth, it was a cube. And so this picture sees, he sees heaven coming, the great city coming down to earth. He's seeing, um, the, he's seeing heaven coming down to earth. And it's God dwelling with us. That's the point. Okay? God's with us in eternity. That's what this city of God is like. This amazing uh, vision that he has. Is God's with us, and this this is the this is the heartbeat of the city of God. It's that God gets we get to be with God. So remember at the start of Revelation, it talks about Jesus knocks on the door of our heart. He's knocking on everybody's heart, saying, "If you open the door, I will come in and eat with you." So it's talking about an intimacy with Jesus and knowing face to face. It's one of my favorite things. Because when you're talking about heaven, it's difficult to imagine because none of us have been there. <laughs> but in 1 Corinthians, it talks about now we see in part, then we'll, we'll see fully, face to face. So uh, imagine that every time that you've had an amazing time with God and you've been really, that is just a taste. When you get that, uh, the joy or peace of God, that is just a taste of what it will be like. It's a dim look in a mirror. You're only getting a glimpse. 
a foretaste of what is to come. But that is the promise of God, that we will be with him. You know, if you could hang out with any famous person, who do you want to hang out with? Apparently, Hugh Bonneville was in Winchester on a Monday in Starbucks. We just missed him. Uh, but who wants to hang out with that guy? <laughs> um, not me. The Bible says we get to dwell with God, the God who made heaven and earth. We get to be with him through all eternity. And this is the, the amazing thing, the amazing vision of the city of God, that we will be with him forever. And Paul says that we need to have this kind of vision of eternity to affect our lives now. So uh, it talks about we fix our eyes on not what is unseen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. So I've been thinking about this, and it's quite, it's quite, quite thought-provoking thinking about eternity. It makes you stop and think. And uh, the question that's been coming into my mind is, does, will this matter in eternity? It's a great question to ask yourself. We get caught up with so many things in this world, don't we? So many things that seem so important. And you ask yourself the question, will this matter in eternity? Will this situation matter in eternity? It's a great question to ask yourself. So that is the city of God. It affects our lives now. We look towards the city, as Abraham did. We look towards, as it says in Hebrews 13, for we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So that's why I want to encourage you with the second point. And the third point, is there any brief? Is it's a city of choice. And I've got up there, it's simply the most important decision of all. That is the message of Revelation, is that we have a choice to make, that everybody has to choose which city you're going to go with. The city of man or the city of God. But it's quite clear, the city of man, though it seems attractive, seductive even, offering money, sex, power, it ultimately is temporary. It doesn't last. Whereas the city of God is forever. And the great verse that we have, we flick over, is this verse in Romans, uh, Revelation 11, that's actually a summary verse of the whole of the book of Revelation. It says this, the, the trumpet sounded, I think it's a bit like the whistle blew on the, the game of this world. The final whistle is blown. Okay, that's the seventh trumpet. And it says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And this is something that Handel, remember Handel's Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. I'm not going to do it with a big voice. But that is that, is that verse. And Handel, apparently, he saw something. As he, he saw, he said, he, people write that he saw like heaven opened as he was writing it. He thought, wow, what is this? And this verse came, and he shall reign forever and ever. And this is the message of the New Testament. It's, it's forever. It matters. It matters. So when you look at how the world's going to end, you know, movies tell us all kinds of stuff. 
I don't know if you've noticed, there's an awful lot of apocalyptic movies out there. You've got natural disaster endings, so deep impact, day after tomorrow. You've got contagion-type disease endings, like Maze Runner. Aliens, like Independence Day or War of the Worlds. The Rise of the Machines, Terminator or The Matrix. All these kind of weird endings to the world. The Bible says that's all nonsense. There's only one way it ends, and that's the return of Jesus. And every eye will see him, every ear. They will, we will see him as he is. And there will be a... And what happens, this verse is saying, Jesus takes over. He's allowed this stuff to go on. He's allowed sin, Satan, and evil to have its way for long enough. He brings it to an end. There is a judgment to come. There's a seriousness to this. There's an offer from Jesus of eternal life. Anyone can come. The door is open for anyone to choose. You can choose eternal life. Anyone here who's not a Christian, you are not excluded to that invitation. You are welcome to come in. But there is a seriousness of rejecting the invitation of God. There is a judgment on sin. And uh, Handel in this was apparently asked by somebody or said to somebody, that was magnificent entertainment, that piece of music. And he said this, I didn't wish to entertain you. I wish to make you better. And this morning, that's my heart. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to encourage people to follow Jesus, to make that decision, to choose the city of God, because that's the most important decision that there is. Choose Christ. Okay, well I think that that's all I really need to say. But if you're not a believer here today, I just want to lead you in a prayer. We've done this a few times where you can pray to become a, a Christian. It's a simple prayer, but if you mean it in your heart, this is the way you start that journey with Jesus. Okay, so if we could all bow our heads, I'm going to read this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, there was a, one of the early martyrs of the church was a guy called Polycarp. And Polycarp was, a, he actually heard John um, talk about Jesus as a first-hand witness. So he was in John's church. So John came back from Patmos and talked in the church as an old man. He, Domitian stopped the persecution and John came back. And Polycarp was eventually tried to force to renounce Christ. And it, um, they were kind of pleading with him. And he said this, 86 years 
I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? And I thought, it's just a great, he's done me no wrong. That is the experience of all Christians. It's great to have God in your life. He does you no wrong, only good. And that can be your experience. You can know Christ.